0: Everybody, you're listening to Drive Into the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, your host, coming at your day with a solo episode. And the subject of today's episode is going to be a preseason so far review. And I'll be honest with you, I had planned to do this episode for some time, obviously, this being the major topic at hand for the Pistons. And then I sat down tonight after the game to outline for it and realized that, hey, this is preseason. We really can't take a tremendous amount away from preseason of course it's it's preseason but there are some things we can take away from it so we'll go over those uh, the upshot of it, of it is that this may end up being a, a shorter than usual episode but uh, let's head right into it so yeah, the pistons are three games in now preseason have've lost all three you know that is what it is don't really care if the pistons win preseason games or not preseason is a time to experiment and throw whatever lineups out there and let players try whatever stuff. I would say the only way in which it is likely to reflect the season as a whole is this isn't a roster that is likely to win a lot of games. I don't think it's going to be worse than last season's roster or that of the season before, of course, and tanking in the late season came into the ultimate records of both of those teams. But this is still a team that's very much more about Upside than about immediate talent. And it's a team with a lot of things to figure out. And it's it's not really a complete roster for the sake of winning. Now, of course, people could surprise. I mean, Cade could have an all-star season. Ivy could be rookie of the year. A bunch of guys could get it together. You know, Killian, Bagley, Hamadou, whoever else. And things could just come together to such a degree that this team is much more than the sum of its parts. And, you know, maybe the Pistons make the play in tournament. And... You know, who knows? Maybe in that situation, you know, you maybe even make the playoffs. But I think that's kind of an an unlikely situation. So, yeah, that the way in which this preseason may uh, presage if I pronounce that word correctly, predict, we'll go with that. The season is that yeah you know, that this team is is likely to be near the bottom of the Eastern Conference. I would say, or maybe finish twelfth. I went over this with uh, you know a few episodes ago in a Central Division preview, actually. Whatever the case, so lost against the Knicks, lost against the the Pelicans, and what was for me an excruciating game to watch, thanks to a combination of league pass being uh, really really bad sometimes, and it being a constant parade at the free throw line. I just didn't find it a particularly enjoyable game, and uh, a little bit better against the Thunder, but the Pistons were playing with kind of a truncated lineup. In any case, uh, enough rambling. Let's go over what I think are the takeaways from preseason. In no particular order. So we got Bojan Bogdanovic. Didn't play tonight. I'm recording this on Tuesday night. What can we take away from Bojan? Uh, Well, I say that this is a preseason takeaway because we know exactly what we're going to get out of Bojan, and that's going to be a borderline elite three-point shooter who can do maybe a little bit of attacking off the dribble on closeouts and against really immobile opponents and then plays bad defense on the other end and is fairly slow. Like we saw in the first game against the Knicks, when the Pistons fielded that lineup of Cade, Ivy, Bay, Bojan, and Stewart, how like that sort of nightmare lineup or the nightmare situation I've t- talked about—well, not nightmare, but very disadvantageous—of having way too little athleticism on the floor and really nobody who can play above the rim. And uh, Bojan is is definitely a, a markedly below-average NBA athlete there's there's no doubt of that. I mean, he's got his strengths. That's definitely not one of them. And so he's really beaten very easily, or not very easily, but certainly handily. We'll put it that way. Like He's not a pylon or a traffic cone, whatever you want to call it. But he's pretty easily beaten by guys who are considerably faster than he is, and his defensive instincts are not good. So we saw Bojan doing what he does, which is being a, a guy who can hit threes and can hit difficult threes. And, and provides a really high-caliber spacing on one end and is kind of a liability on the other end. And we also saw what's likely to happen if you feel that he and Sadiq Bey and Isaiah Stewart at the same time, and it's it's a definite downside. But, you know, Bojan is what he is. We can really expect him to contribute at a high level not for the Pistons uh, as a floor spacer, as an overall scorer. Like I said in in the episode I did about the Bojan trade, I think it was two weeks ago, I would not expect him to be an 18 to 20 point per game scorer with the Pistons. I mean he's gonna have be playing in a much less potent offense than he played in, in Utah. And Utah had a, a very good offense on a perennial basis. So moving on, I'll mention this. I don't think Cade really so the the one put it this way, the one takeaway I think there was for Cade, who has who had has had a very unimpressive preseason, like shooting thirty percent from the field, twenty percent from three. I'm not feeling very concerned. I think he'll turn it on once the season begins. I don't think he's being lazy, but I think you don't see the same sort of it factor you would see from him in the regular season that we saw from him in the regular season last year. Uh, The one takeaway I would bring out of Cade, and this is not a good one, is that the careless turnovers continue. And I'm not talking the cases in which sometimes he dribbles in a double or triple coverage and just loses the ball. I'm talking the instances in which he just makes a bad pass. You know, he passes into a lane that, because it's the NBA, closes very quickly, and he ends up turning, just turning the ball over. So I don't take that as a particularly encouraging sign. Again, it's something for him to work on as you go into the season. And Cade, handling the ball as much as he is and making as many passes as he is and will, is going to probably turn the ball over a decent amount. And just because those are the odds. I mean, not everybody is Chris Paul and can handle the ball in enormous volume and not turn the ball over a bunch and, you know, not be taking the ball into the interior a ton and not turning over the ball. And, you know, Luka Doncic, for example, of course, we know Luka is Luka, but even he turns over the ball quite a bit. Anybody who's operating in this fairly ball-dominant role is going to have a certain number of turnovers. So, but, you know, you really hope that Cade can cut down on the really, I'm not going to call them lazy, but very unwise Passes that he makes, particularly in the half court, that they're just just passes that aren't going to get through in the NBA. And it's kind of an issue that he makes them and that they end up being turnovers. I mean, so that's, that's merely my only takeaway for him. We move on to who's probably the most popular subject. That's Killian Hayes. So Killian had two very poor games and in uh, and, and one, I would say quite good game tonight against the Thunder. He had a lot of threes. So here's what I'll say about Killian. He's definitely looking more assertive and more confident. And that in itself is not going to be enough, but it's obviously, but it, it's a prerequisite. Absolutely, you have to go out there and play with confidence. And Killian in his first two seasons often played scared, particularly last season. And that's a recipe for struggles. So the confidence is absolutely a good thing. He really struggled from the field in the first two games. He was just missing, you know, missed most of, Well, more than most, he missed almost all of his threes. And uh, he he was still struggling from the interior. Uh, Tonight, he managed to hit a bunch of threes. That was good. He finished a couple shots in in the interior too, which is nice. So here's the thing about Killian. Number one, he needs to hit the threes. I mean, that's non-negotiable. My my opinion on Killian is that he's not going to stay in the league with the Pistons or anybody else long-term, unless he can hit his threes. And if he can hit his threes, he probably has a long-term place in the league. You couple that with his defense, which is certainly good and his basketball IQ, tends to make the right play, high-caliber passer. So if he can hit his threes, great. He's got a future with the Pistons. If it's not with the Pistons, you trade him to somebody else. Now, what Killian needs on top of that to do, to really, I would say, take his game to the next level, but also just to be a lead guard, to really be a point guard, he has to be able to penetrate. So aside from what I think was one instance tonight, in which he actually made it successfully to the rim and scored there, I don't think I don't think he I think he did it once in three games. To put it that way. This has been a persistent struggle for Killian, even if he's willing to take on contact, and he seems to be more willing to take on contact now to accept contact, which he was very averse to for much of last season, and has also continued to be averse to a degree in the preseason. Like you see him settle for a lot of floaters, you know, a few mid-range jumpers. Those are not high percentage shots for basically anyone. So accepting contact or not, I mean, well, he has to accept contact. He has to be able to get into the restricted area. Not only because that's really high percentage scoring area, you know, whether you're scoring at the rim or drawing free throws, but also because you have to be able to get there to really break down defense. As you see a lot of short drives by Killian. When, you know, maybe he's drawn the rim protection alongside his defender, but he has not broken down the defense anywhere near enough to really make a dent in it. Like he can make the pass. But often his the man he's passing to is we somewhat covered, and this doesn't lead to a high percentage opportunity, and it doesn't unhinge the defense. I, mean, I I like to bring up like the Heat for example, or a great example of this finally got unhinged the defense, and then it's like uh, kick and kick and kick and just kick it around until somebody inevitably, I mean ideally for them one of the really high percentage three point shooters uh, finds an open three point look, you know, or find a driving lane in there. So he can drive in, make a short drive in, and he can make the pass and get it to somebody who might be open in the corner. But if he really wants to be able to break down defenses, and if he really wants to be a, a really a true playmaker and generate those high percentage chances, he has to be able to, to penetrate on a consistent basis. What he's doing right now isn't really going to cut it. That's not very effective. It's not a great use of shot clock. It's not a great use of a possession. So that's something he needs to work on. If the three point shooting is there, fantastic. In that case, he can just be a guard on the team. Period. Maybe kind of like a—I hate to use this because I think it's a lazy comparison—but play a sort of Lonzo Ball role. Is just really a three and D guard who uh, who does good passing in transition and plays strong defense. Well, of course, of course plays strong defense. I mean, I just call him the three and D guard, but. <laughs> You know, he if he wants to be more than that, yeah, that penetration's gotta come along. He's gotta be able to break down defenses. And in order to be a stronger scorer, he's gotta be able to score at the at the basket, at the rim. These interior shots he takes instead. Floaters, that's tough to make that shot efficient. It's nowhere near as efficient also as scoring at the rim. And those mid-range jumpers, even more difficult to make efficient. So if he's settling for those, he's unlikely to be an inefficient scorer and unlikely to be anything in the realm of a, of a potent interior score, But at least for tonight, the seeing him sink a bunch of threes is great. Seeing him play with confidence is great. And his defense, as usual, is strong. So that's good. So we've seen progress. Hopefully it carries on in the regular season. We'll see. Uh, but obviously hope so. Now moving on. Marvin Bagley. So Bagley... I feel, and I've said this before, obviously it's, you know, if if you've listened to the show for a while, you've heard me probably say this multiple times. I think Bagley's future with the Pistons is likely to power forward. I think he's going to have to find his value as a strong scorer because he's a poor defender and I don't think that's likely to change because I think it's a question of just acumen, of his defensive IQ. And I don't think he'll ever have it in him as an interior defender at at center. It's one of the reasons I don't think he'll play center. And it is even an impediment to him as a perimeter defender if he's playing power forward. It's just an issue of at the NBA level, I mean, you've got to make, even if you're not playing at the rim protector, even if you're not playing the defensive anchor, whatever you want to call it, even if you're not playing the primary interior defender, if that's not your role, you still need to be able to make very fast reads and decisions against the best basketball players in the world, on really on a split-second basis. And that's something with which I feel... Bagley really struggles so if he's going to provide good value to the Pistons he's going to have to find it as a scorer and he's already a strong scorer around the restricted area he's a strong finisher and I I think it's going to be an absolute necessity for him to be a three-point shooter so that he can shoot the threes, so he can space the four and you know he does a decent job of attacking closeouts and basically like he he left the game uh, with an injury tonight but in, in the previous two games, it had been pretty ugly. Uh, Bagley had been able to provide very little on offense beyond just that finishing, and needless to say, that's not going to cut it. If you have a guy who is a pretty weak defender overall, cannot play defense at center, and all he provides for you is some finishing and some presence on the roll, uh, Not that the Pistons have been using the role very much, but uh, I'll get to that later. I mean, uh, it's only preseason but I really hope to see more from Bagley than he's shown. You know, My hope is that he would come back from summer a more versatile offensive player. And to this point, he's just basically, you know, it's, again, it's only preseason, but he was pretty much just looked like he did last season. And last season, I think he looked a lot better than he really was because up to the point when he joined the team, the Pistons had no strong interior finisher. They had no vertical spacer. They had uh, no real good role man as Troy Weaver had prioritized spacing at the five, Kelly Olenek, instead of bringing on on an athletic big as a backup center. So not the most encouraging outing from Bagley. Of course, the season could start and it could look entirely different, uh, just something I observed and something that I felt I was a little bit disappointed by. Uh, Jalen Duren, again, only got to see him for two games. And Jalen Duren is a very raw player that was known when he was entering the draft, you know, it was known on draft night. I'm, I'm sure the Pistons drafted him with, with full awareness that it was going to take some time to work him up. And having New Orleans Noel on the roster allows for that. You know, if Duran needs to not play very many games while well, he tries to get used to things, if he doesn't, if they don't want to play in certain situations, whatever else, I mean, Noel's a quality veteran backup center. And Duran has a ton of physical potential and i feel like you see the potential there as well as a rim protector and as a switch defender and you know he's done an all right job and in, in the odd cases in which he was forced to switch in the two games he's played so far but can kind of see that the processing speed it's not processing speed the experience isn't there in, in terms of what he should do in a, in a given situation particularly on defense uh, but also on offense where he's going to find value there he's tended pretty much just to be floating in the easy areas like around the basket on offense. Made season, you know, he's made some nice passes which show off, you know, the fact that yeah, he can he's a decent passer and he generally has a fairly good idea of when to pass. But yeah, on offense you see that he's really still learning and learning more than the average rookie needs to. And that is what it is. Yeah, he's coming in a very raw player. Not only is he the youngest player in the NBA, or will be on opening night anyway. Um I don't know. I made that distinction. I guess he hasn't played a regular season game yet. Whatever. He's the youngest player in the league. Um, so not only that, but you know he was raw at Memphis too, even by the standards of a freshman in college basketball. So wouldn't be surprised if it takes some time for him to to come along. And I'm sure the organization drafted him with that understanding. So uh, okay. So there was Killian, who I said was probably the most uh, the most talked about. Uh, it's probably Jaden Ivey actually who's the most talked about. So how has Ivey looked? Uh, definitely has struggled from an efficiency standpoint. And again, preseason, guy new to the NBA, not super worried. Uh, he has been as advertised in terms of his fire. I mean, he was really into it even even in preseason games in terms of his athleticism. Obviously, that was out there. Uh, he drives in, draws multiple defenders. I mean, his passing has has been not half bad. I mean, he goes in, he he sees when he's not going to be able to penetrate or when he's drawn multiple defenders and he makes a decent pass. Like he's not a guy who's making like great reads, but you know, he makes, he makes the pass he needs to make, which is great Uh, because that's, that was, that's definitely one of his question marks at the NBA level. Can he make the right reads and passes? And with Ivy, he might just be a guy who, uh, who can make the right read in terms of, I need to pass the ball and make a decent pass. And he's not going to be like a great playmaker and that's fine. That's, that's what I expect. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's been good on the drive in, in terms of how he's operating. He, he tends to still drive right a lot, like he did at Purdue. He needs to do some work on going up the middle. He's been drawing a lot of free throws, which is fantastic. And he has not been noticeable on defense, which is nice, because that's a question mark for him. If if I feel like if you're noticing Ivy, he has had a couple of nice blocks. That was cool. I mean, that's more just eye candy. I don't think that's something we're going to get from him on a regular basis. But if you're not if you're noticing Ivy on defense, just given his profile, like he's not a strong defender. So if you're noticing him, then he's probably doing a bad job. And I don't feel like he has been noticed at all. He's just he's worked hard. He's he's done a decent enough job and fantastic. But it's it's been great just to see how hard he works. Even in a preseason game. I mean the passion is there. Absolutely the fire is there. And like Duran, but to a lesser extent. I mean I feel like you're seeing that Ivy is still He's still got some things to work on in terms of, I think, for him adapting to the NBA. Because in the NCAA, I mean, he could really just burn guys. But there's excellent athleticism in a way that's not going to be quite as possible in the NBA. Got to work on shot selection a bit as well. <laughs> so what I'm, what I'm hoping, one thing I'm hoping for Ivy, it's like, dude, like, spot up at the three-point line. Stop spotting up, like two or three feet behind the three-point line it makes your shot considerably more difficult it's something he did in college and he's continuing to do it at the the further away three-point line in the nba and my hope is that ivy will end will eventually not eventually like immediately be put on a a healthier shot diet more spot ups like right on the line Uh, he's been attempting quite a few pull ups as well that's a difficult shot i imagine he'll be given the green light to continue taking it though and uh, for me, that's about it for player takeaways. I mean, we've seen Isaiah Stewart attempt a decent amount of threes and, and sink some of them. I mean, he's only sank three threes in, in three games. Uh, his average 2.7 attempts. But, yeah, 2.7 attempts. Man, I have to do that math in my head. But, uh, yeah, he's attempted eight threes, and he's hit three of them. So pretty good, Yeah, you know, 37.5%. And... Uh, maybe I got that math completely wrong. I'm sorry, I'm recording this fairly late at night. But uh, I have faith in, in Stuart shot, and hopefully it comes along. And uh, and Bay is just you know trying things, as he did to start last season. Hopefully that doesn't continue in quite the same way. He too has struggled from the field. A lot of guys have struggled from the field. But uh, I don't have too much to say about Sadiq. Though it's been nice that he's gotten to the line quite a bit. And speaking of getting to the line... I mean, Ivy actually had, just going back to Ivy briefly, he had some issues in the NCAA from the free throw line. And thus far, at least, well, through three games preseason, he shot about 94%. So hopefully that's something he had worked on in the offseason. And I mean, I don't anticipate anybody shooting 94% in the free throw line. But if he can be a high 80s shooter, you know, fantastic. That's great because it's something at which he was very inconsistent in the NCAA. And before we get into bigger picture stuff, let's first hear a quick word from our sponsor. The NFL Action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting part in the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. For example, if you want to bet on this Sunday's matchup between the Lions and the Cowboys. To make things even sweeter, you can throw it on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet in any football game. That's code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum major eligibility restrictions apply. see show notes for details. Okay, so just some bigger picture takeaways and just talk a little bit about the offense and about the defense. And it's possible that these won't persist into next season, excuse me, into the regular season, though I suspect that they probably will for the most part. Now, I think there's something that Bear is saying, Bear is mentioning about Dwayne Casey. He's a good developmental coach. I think he's proven that, at least in my opinion he has. He's certainly proven that to me. He's done a really good job of keeping a good locker room through, a, through very difficult times. The young players love him. He seems to put a lot of emphasis on helping them grow and so on and so forth. I talked a lot about that with uh, with Omari Sankova, who was on on the podcast for my last episode. And so in that area, he's very strong. As an on-court coach, I think he's pretty weak. He is a poor offensive mind for one, and though he's he's better at, at defense, he just he's not very adaptive. He doesn't make the necessary changes, and and you could say like, okay, maybe with these young players, you got to play in certain ways. Uh, you know, in, in simpler ways, maybe there's some merit to that. But my, my opinion is the fact is that the Dwayne Casey is, I'd say, considerably below average as an encore court coach in the NBA. So let's talk the offense. Uh, the offense, what struck out to me, I mean, it, it's very much a motion offense uh, that focuses on uh, generating open three-point attempts. I mean, the Pistons have taken a ton of threes in preseason. What's conspicuously absent for me is much play in the pick-and-roll at all for Killian Hayes, for Jaden Ivey, for Cade Cunningham, uh, the first and third of those uh, of whom rather spent a ton of time in the pick-and-roll last season. And Killian Hayes, I mean, Killian Hayes has always been a pick-and-roll guard. Cade lives in the high pick-and-roll. And you'd expect to see more of that, but there's been very little focus on that. I mean, that's my chief takeaway from the offense. It's just, yeah, I mean, everybody works on opening up those, uh, just looking to generate open threes. But has definitely been a particular emphasis on it. Like I wanted to say almost to an extreme, but yeah, just the Pistons haven't been running any pick and roll, which is strange. And is that a sign of what's to come in the regular season? Hard to say. Now, if you get the starting lineup that we got in the first preseason game, I would say that's probably going to continue because you have no role man in that lineup. And while you have one in the second unit, the uh, second unit has problems of its own. You know, if Bojan is starting and Bay is starting, I mean, if, if you have that starting five of Cade, Ivy, Bojan, Bay, and Stewart, then you don't really have much means to run the pick and roll. And in the starting lineup, you just have to hope to have five shooters in the floor and open up lanes that way. And then your bench, like even if Killian can shoot, I mean, you're fielding at least two non-shooters there. So that could get a little bit ugly. On defense, this has been brought up by a lot of people, just the switch everything scheme. And, I mean, I would say that, I mean, Casey has come out and said, okay, we're not just going to switch everything, but you know that that'll be a big component. And maybe that's just an easier defense to run with young players. I don't think so. I think that's just something that Casey really likes to do. But we saw, particularly in the game against the Pelicans, the dangers of that. Like you end up with Valanciunas switched onto somebody? It's like okay, Valanciunas is a very strong post scorer. He's gonna sc- he's very likely to score on somebody who's significantly smaller than he is. You can point to Zion. Um, Zion's gonna be a mismatch for just about anybody. But hey, you switch a small guy into Zion, you're probably in trouble. You're gonna have an even lesser chance of stopping him, and and so on and so forth. I mean, it's just if you're running a switch everything scheme, especially if you know you're fielding f- at times fairly small lineups like the Pistons are. Like if Stewart is your center. Who's six, seven and a half without shoes? And if you have Stewart as your center, he's the tallest guy in the four. You've got a short lineup, maybe a long lineup, but it's it's a fairly small lineup. we will put it that way. And that opens up opportunities for other teams to take advantage of it. If they know you're going to switch, then that makes it very, very easy for them to get uh, to get advantageous matchups. And we saw the Pelicans do it. Definitely, the Thunder just have a whole lot less talent, so they don't really have the means to punish anyone nearly as well. But the average team will. And uh, the final takeaway for me, or this is more of just a question coming out of preseason, is going to be the front court rotation, particularly where it concerns Stewart, Bagley, Noel, and Duran. So it's entirely possible that Duran won't really see much time in the early stages of the season, barring an injury, because to my eyes, it looks like he's really not ideally suited to be playing NBA basketball at this point. So I, I don't know if we will end up in the G League, but I think that's... He'll probably start out as a healthy scratch. I could be wrong. I mean, would be happy to be wrong because it's fun to watch these young players play. But even if you cut out Duran, you've got those other three. You've got Noel, Stewart, and Bagley. Stewart might be able to shoot. But, you know, if he can do that, great. I mean, I think that's going to be a necessity for him in the NBA, period, in order for him to be a non-minus on defense. But then you've got the other two. If Bagley can't shoot, you start to wonder where he can really play his role. I've said before that I think the uh, likely starting lineup, though, became less likely with Bojan on the floor, which is after Bojan joined the team, was playing Bagley at power forward, basically center on offense and power forward on defense. And, you know, if you can do that, cool. I think that's a fine lineup. If Stewart can shoot his threes, I don't think Stewart's, Ever going to be ideal as a power forward, but if Stewart can shoot his threes, fantastic. You know, at least you can you can run that lineup this season as sort of a stopgap. Um, but if you have Bojan in the picture and he ends up starting, which I think is likelier than not at this point, then where do you realistically plug Bagley in there? Like you've got, I mean, do you have additional questions? Like, yeah, I mean, you're plugging him in. Are you going to play him at center? And for the back, you know, for the second unit. I don't think you want to place Bagley at center on defense for any unit, period. I mean, that is just asking for trouble. You know, you you don't want him on the floor defending at center. So if you have him power forward instead and he can't shoot, you put him on the floor with Duran, you put him on the floor with Noel, okay, now you've got twin towers who can't shoot. That's far from ideal even for a rebuilding team. I mean, that's really bad spacing. So if Bagley can't shoot, I mean I'd say in general, if Bagley can't shoot, you've got to be wondering where is his place really going to be in the rotation so that he's not really destroying spacing on offense? And so that, you know, if he's destroying spacing on offense and just providing bad defense, then it's a rebuilding season, but that has an impact upon the other players as well. All right, and to end the episode, I'm going to answer a few listener-submitted questions, first of which is, would you start Bagley at center? I think I I just went over that. No, I would definitely not start Bagley at center even on a team that's aiming to lose. I mean, if you're trying to develop other players on defense, I mean, Bagley at center is enough to unhinge your defense. We saw it last season on those few occasions at which he, on which he started at center. He cannot make the proper reads as an interior defender in the half court. Even in transition, he struggles to make the right decision. So you put him out there at center, your defense is almost guaranteed to struggle, even if he's out there with really high caliber perimeter defenders and with the Pistons, he's not going to be. No, oh, I I've gone on and on about the what I believe is the importance of having a vertical spacer, a strong finisher, strong role man out there. But if I had to pick between starting Stewart and starting Bagley uh, at center, I would, you know, if it was just going to be one of them, I'm not talking like a a duo in the front court, with like Stewart at power forward on on offense and center on defense and Bagley vice versa. If I just had to start one of the two of them, I would still go with Stewart just because I feel like. Bagley's impact upon the defense would be so ruinous if you are starting at center. And second question. Do you think these Pistons will be remembered as similar to the early 2000s Clippers? Those were Elton Brands, Corey Maggette, uh, Quentin Richardson, and so on and so forth. Uh, no, I certainly hope not. If these Pistons ultimately do end up being remembered that way, then a lot has gone catastrophically wrong because those Clippers teams... Uh, never won anything. I mean, those early 2000s Clippers teams never even made the playoffs. They made it in 2006, but that was after almost nine, I think nine years of not making the playoffs. So I can, I think that Cade has a superstar ceiling. I think that Ivy has a star ceiling. I think that there's a lot of solid young talent on the team. I think that the Pistons will need to, to add another major piece in the draft or in free agency in order to really become a contender. But no, it, I, I, don't think that's going, I, I don't think they're going to be anything like those early 2000s Clippers unless just everything goes wrong. And finally, what would the Rodney McGruder have on it if it was a McDonald's sandwich? I haven't eaten a McDonald's for a long time, so I'm not sure if I'm very well equipped to answer this question. But uh, knowing what we've heard about McGruder and his very, very positive impact upon his teammates, probably something that would be healthy and i don't really know how you would pull that off at mcdonald's like you know what i'm thinking is like maybe like a really lean chicken sandwich with like vegetables and fruit and i don't know maybe some goat cheese but you'd never find that within like 50 miles of a mcdonald's so yeah i I really don't know that's 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 a difficult question all right folks so that is going to be it for this episode as always thank you all for listening